0: Let's pray together. Sovereign God, we thank you that you care about every detail of our lives, that you care about the things that excite us, that burden us, that worry us, that you know us better than we know ourselves. We thank you that you are the one who rules over heaven and earth. We thank you, Jesus, that you are king of kings, and Lord of Lords. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you move among us, that you empower us and equip us. We thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that you've known us before the foundations of the world. We stand in awe of that. We don't understand it, but we're grateful for it. And so we pray that on this campus, we live lives of gratitude. We live lives of holiness. We live lives where we say, Holy Spirit, have your way. Prompt me to do what you would have me to do. Prompt us to do what you would have us to do. We pray that this is a campus that is known for sustainability, for caring for our planet, known for compassion and caring for each other, known for fearlessness and exploring places and ideas that some people might not want. We pray that you bless this campus so that each of us becomes more and more like you and as a whole, we become more and more a place where the kingdom of God is made manifest. We thank you for interim. We thank you for those who are teaching us and we pray that you give them the stamina they need. We pray that as we learn things that may be something totally different from what we normally study, that you'll just give us the joy of learning Remind us that this is a luxury, that there are so many people in the world who do not have the gift of getting to just learn. So help us to be good stewards of this precious gift. We pray for all of our friends who are traveling. We pray for their safety. We pray that they see you. We pray that there are friendships that deepen over this weeks of travel. God, we're grateful that this whole planet belongs to you. And we pray for all the dorms as they compete with Kilowatt and remember to take good care of this earth. Thank you for this opportunity to spur us all on to greater discipleship. And we thank you for your word. We thank you for scripture. We thank you that it teaches us and corrects us. And we pray tonight, Holy Spirit, that as we open your word, these old, old ideas that these deeply rooted things of the church will become fresh and alive to us. Do what you need to do in this space tonight. We pray this all through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. can turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 1. You can just, it's page uh, 949 in your Pew Bibles. We'll be reading uh, verses 3 to 14 and then chapter 2 verses 1 through 10 so you can kind of line those up. Now, for those of you who've been worshiping with us or paying attention at all, you know that tonight we're talking about predestination and free will. Yes, I don't know if that was for predestination or free will, but uh, thank you for laughing. so these, the, the sermon series for interim is in response to the questions that students submitted, y'all submitted at the end of last semester. And so last week we talked about the nature of God and the Trinity, tonight predestination, free will, uh, next week evangelism in a global context. And so think about it, it was uh, who is God, what has he done for us, what do we get to do for others is one way to think about it, all right? So tonight, um, predestination, free will. Now, this is a topic that has been written about and talked about and argued about, frankly, for 2,000 years. So, we're not going to cover all the things in one sermon. I'm sorry to disappoint you. Um, But we're going to do our best that hopefully will inspire you and equip you to have good conversations with each other. So, know that. Um, And as we begin to talk about predestination, we need to be really clear what it is not. What it is, is about salvation. Predestination is a doctrine about salvation. It is not about the person you're going to marry, or what you're going to major in, or the job that you're going to have after college. It's not about that. Predestination is a biblical teaching that is about salvation, about our eternal destiny. Okay? Imagine that our eternal destiny, God programs it in us like an internal GPS, and no matter what we do, we are going to get where God has determined we are going to go. So between now and then, we got all the free will we want. You can make all kinds of choices about all the things. And, and if you go off in one way, you know, Holy Spirit's like recalculating, 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 <laughs> to get you where God is determined that you will go. So the socks that you wear, the people that you date, these are choices, part of your free will, the classes you take, right? So we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But just so, so we have an introduction, moving in, understanding what we're doing, are we clear? Predestination is about what? Salvation. Salvation. Yes, good, all right. So now that we know that, let's read some Paul. Now, verses 3 through 14 of Ephesians 1 in the Greek are one long sentence. One long sentence. So for those of you who are studying Greek or will study Greek someday, I pray that this is not ever on a comprehensive exam for you because it's complicated. All right. In English, lots of sentences. Here we go. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, Just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. He destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and insight, he has made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Christ, we have also obtained an inheritance, having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will. So that we, who were the first to set our hope on Christ, might live for the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. This is the pledge of our inheritance toward redemption as God's own people to the praise of his glory. Then, chapter 2. You were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived, following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. All of us once lived among them in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of flesh and senses, and we were by nature children of wrath like everyone else. But God, who is rich in mercy out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, It's the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. This is the word of the Lord. Paul is very excited about predestination. He is very excited about it. He can't wait. It's like he says at the beginning of the letter, hey, how you doing? This is great. But blessed to be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is amazing. He chose us in him before the foundations of the world. This is crazy. Why is Paul so excited? Well, we have to remember where this whole thing starts out. We start out in damnation. That's our starting point. Children of wrath. We couldn't choose God if we wanted to. And there's nothing in us that wants to. That's the one decision we don't have free will over. Because of our depravity, because of our sin, we cannot choose God. We are physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally unable to choose God. We cannot do it. We are sit, stuck in damnation. That's our lot. That is where we are. That's what we deserve. That's our spot. We could not choose God. And that's why when Paul lays this out and he says, but God, that's the turning point. But. God, who is rich in mercy out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, made us alive together with Christ. Paul says, this is amazing. This is a miracle. In the first chapter, he uses the image of orphans who've been brought into a family, but adopted into a family. You don't choose God. God chooses you. You. God isn't precious to you. You're precious to God. That's the way this works. That's predestination. God, who is rich in mercy before the foundations of time, rescues us from eternal damnation. That's why Paul is so excited. He's like, this is the best thing ever. And he's right. It is the best thing ever. Now, we may say, okay, Paul, that's great for us who've received the mercy. Big fans. But what about the people who appear not to receive the mercy? What about the people who appear not to be chosen? What about them? Well, you may remember, 10 years ago, Oprah gave away 276 cars on her show. You remember this? You were little at the time. But you may have seen the video. She gives away the cars, and what's the line? It's like, you get a car, and you get a car, and you get a car, and everyone's so excited. Everyone's just like crying and aww. They can't believe they're getting a car. And when word spread that Oprah did this on her show, everyone was like, Oprah is awesome. I love Oprah. Man, I wish I'd been there. That would have been epic. But wow, Oprah, way to go! It's not like when that happened, we were like, "Oprah sucks." <laughs> I didn't get a car. Well, were, were you in the studio audience? I think no. But still, Oprah sucks because I didn't get a car. Now that would be silly to say, right? Oprah's kindness toward the people in her audience on that day, people who were in desperate need of cars, her kindness to them does not mean that she's mean and stingy to me. Her kindness toward them doesn't mean she's cruel toward everybody who didn't get a car. Now, this may be one of the only times I ever say this, but God is like Oprah. God is kind to those to whom he is kind. He shows mercy to those whom he shows mercy. He has compassion on those he has compassion. That's what he does. That's who he is. That does not mean he is cruel toward everyone else. In fact, God cannot be cruel. That is not what predestination is about. God isn't kind toward some and cruel toward others. What's actually happening is that God is merciful towards some and just toward others. Because justice demands that people who are in rebellion against God are condemned. That's what justice demands. Everyone deserves justice. Everyone deserves to be here. What God actually does is unfair. The unfairness of God is that he gives mercy. That's not fair at all. He gives mercy. To people who don't deserve it. This is unmerited. We did nothing to deserve it. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not your own doing. It is a gift from God. God is spectacularly unfair. And every time we get in this building together, that's what we are celebrating. We are celebrating the fact that God is unfair. We get caught up in the fact that God acts in justice toward some and mercy toward others. But that's who he is. He's a God of justice and he's a God of mercy. We'll talk a little more about this next week when we talk about evangelism. But I think we operate from a faulty assumption that the people who get mercy are a really small group and the people who get justice is a really big group. Why do we think that? Why do we think that God is a petty tyrant giving out mercy in thimbles and justice in gallons? Revelation gives us a vision of the kingdom of God, and it says there is a multitude that cannot be counted. That's how big it is. From every tongue and tribe and nation gathered together before the throne. That's the vision. It's huge. The people who get mercy are many, 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 many people. Will there be people who get justice? Yes. How many? I don't know. Five? <laughs> Ten? I don't know. But why do we think the justice group is so big and the mercy group is so small? I read through uh, scripture before I go to sleep at night, and I've been working my way through the Old Testament. And uh, a short time ago, I was in Second Chronicles, which I know is a life verse for many of you. Um, Second Chronicles is about the kings of Israel and Judah. And in case you didn't know, a spoiler alert, most of them are bad. And I'm reading, and as I go through Chronicles, there are these occasions when a really bad king repents. I'm talking really bad. Like makes people sacrifice their babies and fire to a pagan god kind of bad. Slaughters innocent people kind of bad. And the king repents. And it's not like a spectacular repentance. It's just like, oh, sorry about that. And God's like, ah. Oh! Great, awesome. And he says to the prophet, yeah, go tell him, it's all good. I forgive him, he's fine. And I'm reading this, and I'm thinking, seriously? You're having mercy on that guy? I wouldn't have mercy on that guy. And that's the point. God's mercy is not like our mercy. And God's justice is not like our justice. And that's a really good thing for us. because I don't deserve mercy. When it comes to a comparison of human beings who have been on earth and you want to line people up like who's been really great and who's been really not so great to be like, you know, Hitler, me, Stalin. <laughs> when it comes to a holy God, we are all on the same playing field here. All right? I do not deserve mercy. Depravity is depravity is depravity. Welcome. You don't deserve mercy. I don't deserve mercy. And that's why Paul gets really excited in Ephesians. Because God is handing out mercy like Oprah is handing out cars. You get mercy and you get mercy and you get mercy and you get mercy and you get mercy. And And Paul, if Paul were writing today, he'd be like, look. You gotta be more excited to get the mercy of God than somebody who's getting a Pontiac. (laughs) Come on, people. Like if you watch that video, they're crying, they're screaming, they're hugging strangers because they have been given something they did not deserve. I'm gonna guess 10 years later, some of them don't have those cars anymore. But God, who is rich in mercy before the foundations of the world, saved you. That's what predestination is about. And that's why people have studied this and actually loved this doctrine because it's about a merciful God who loves his people. And when Paul wrote about this and Augustine wrote about it and Calvin wrote about it and Luther wrote about it, one of the main things they wanted people to understand about this doctrine was that it is a doctrine of assurance, a doctrine of comfort that says there's nothing you can do. There is nothing you can do to make God love you more. There is nothing you can do to make God love you less. If God, who is rich in mercy, has prompted the Holy Spirit and prompted you in into responding to the gospel, there's you're in. And that's what Calvin So wanted to be communicated. That This is a doctrine of comfort. This is a doctrine of rest. This is a doctrine who says, stop stop trying so hard to impress God. That That is not what we're trying to do here. Stop worrying about whether or not you're saved. I had a seminary professor who said, if you worry about whether or not you're saved, you are. God does the work we do nothing. He loves us. That's the gift. That's the comfort. And in the tradition that I come from and some of you come from, there's this great word of comfort that actually unpacks what the doctrine of predestination actually means in our day-to-day lives. So turn in your red books to 434. 434. Some of you may have memorized this along the way. So years ago in the 1500s, when people were trying to understand theology, they would write things called catechisms, which would be like someone asked a question, someone would give an answer. And the catechism that I grew up learning, and maybe some of you grew up learning, is called the Heidelberg Catechism because it was written in Heidelberg, Germany. It's not a really clever name. It just worked. It was written by two guys, Casper and Zach, who were about your age. Think about that. They were entrusted with writing the catechism to shape the Protestant church. Overachievers. (laughs) They wrote this catechism, and they said, you know what we need to do? We need to start out right off the bat... We're teaching people about this big comfort. We don't want people to worry because so many people had grown up in a church that said, you've got to work more, you've got to do more, there's purgatory, you've got to work off your sins, you never know if you're good enough. And they said, we're going to start out by telling people right out of the gate, you don't have to do anything. So the first question is, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And it starts out by saying that I am not my own. Right there. Stop. That's really good news. That I am not my own. Because you know what happens when we're our own? We can't choose God. We're incapable of choosing God. So it's a really good thing that I am not my own but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior Jesus Christ. Belonging You're chosen. You're in the family. This is a theme that Paul picks up in Ephesians. He says, you're in. You've been adopted in. You're getting the inheritance. You're part of the family. You belong. Why? How? How do we belong? Because Jesus has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood. Remember how we were in our sins in Ephesians? We weren't just kind of like had the flu with our sins. We were dead in our sins. We were dead in our sins. There's nothing we could do. Jesus said, I'm going to pay for all your sins with my precious blood. And in doing so, I'm going to set you free from the tyranny of the devil. The devil can mess with us. He can annoy us. But he is not our tyrant. He is not our Lord Because we have been set free from that captivity. Set free from the tyranny of the devil. And we are now under the lordship of Jesus Christ. We've moved in a completely different kingdom. From the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my father in heaven. Now this is where sometimes we get the doctrine of providence and the doctrine of predestination a little bit mixed up. Predestination is about what? Yes. Providence is the doctrine that said, God, his almighty and everlasting power, holds the whole world, heaven and earth, and so rules them that leaf and blade, rain and drop, prosperity and poverty, health and sickness, all things, in fact, come to us not by chance, but from his fatherly hand. Lord's Day 10, Heidelberg Catechism, 7th grade. (laughs) Providence says God cares about everything in your life. And God is involved in everything in your life. And God prompts us in the ways that he wants us to go. Sometimes we do not listen. How many of you have ever declined? No, don't raise your hand. Sometimes we don't listen. God prompts us, go over and sit next to that person and talk to them about that. You're like. Get up, go to church. Get your butt out of bed. Now, go, now, go, now, no, now. now. <laughs> Providence says God is in our lives upholding everything and he is gonna send us good things. He is gonna send us blessings and this is a different sermon. I've preached different places. We can Google it later if you need to know where it is. He also allows pain. We live in a world steeped in evil. We swim in it. We can't escape it. And so that brokenness, that evil, comes into our lives, sometimes as a result of our own actions, sometimes as a result of the actions of others, sometimes because crap happens. God allows certain things to come into our lives. And one of the great mysteries is why. We don't always know why. But we have an idea. All things must work together for my salvation. It does not say... All things must work together for my happiness. All things must work together for my contentment. All things must work together so that I have an easy life. Following Jesus is not an easy life. If you came in, you thought you were going to get an easy life, I'm sorry, you may exit at any point. That is not what we sign up for. But God's care and God's providence means that evil does not win. Evil does not win. It doesn't win in your life, and it doesn't win in my life. So even when really bad things come into our lives, it's not like God steps back and goes, yeah, just for a minute, I'm going to let Satan kind of mess with you. He's in there. He's like, oh, Satan, are you done right now? Because right now I'm going to mess with what you messed with, and I'm going to do a little redeeming of this thing. It may not bring it back to where it was before, but let me tell you something, Satan, you're losing Because I'm going to get done what I need to get done in this person's life. So that they become more and more like my son Jesus. All things work together for our salvation. And that's what Paul means in Romans 8 that we heard earlier. All things work together for our good. Our good is being in the image of Jesus Christ. That's our good. That's our best thing. Jesus, in case you don't remember, suffered quite a bit. If all things are going to work together for our good, for our salvation, we can assume there will be some suffering involved. But evil loses. And God is always up to something. That's what that means. That's the doctrine of providence. When someone breaks up with you, God's still up to something. When you get married, God's still up to something. When you get a job, God's still up to something. When you don't get the job, God's still up to something. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life. And that was the big, big thing for Calvin. He wanted you to have the assurance of eternal life, that you didn't worry about it anymore, that you would sleep peacefully knowing that God's got it. You are assured of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly, you've heard that word before, wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him because I'm not my own anymore. I'm going to live for him. That's the gift that we get to give back to God for the gift of his mercy to us is we get to live a life of gratitude back to him. Everything we do is a gift back to God. And this is why we are responsible for our choices. We are responsible for hemming in our bad desires. We'll be talking a lot about that this spring. We're responsible for the choices that we make which move us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ or less so. But the more we let the Holy Spirit come and do our work, the more we are wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for Him At the funeral of Eugene Peterson, his son Leif got up and read a poem about the fact that his dad only had one sermon. In all of his years of ministry, he just had one sermon. And Leif said it was the same sermon that he prayed over us every night before he tucked us in. And it was this. God loves you. He's on your side. He's coming for you. He's relentless. God loves you. He's on your side. He's coming for you. He's relentless. God loves you. He's on your side. He's coming for you. He's relentless. That's predestination. Will you pray with me? God, we stand amazed and humbled. You are rich in mercy, and you extended that toward us. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you indeed set this seal upon us, that you continue to work within us so that we can come to understand more and more the gift we've been given and live our lives in response. Thank you, Jesus Christ, that you have fully paid for all of our sins with your precious blood. Thank you that we are set free from the tyranny of the devil. Thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that you watch over us so closely and that you're always up to something. We long for the day of your return, Christ Jesus. We long for the day when the kingdom of light will triumph completely over the kingdom of darkness. We long for the day when the children of mercy will be gathered together before your throne from every tongue, tribe, and nation, a multitude that no one can count, where people have received mercy upon mercy upon mercy. And we are laughing and crying and screaming and hugging strangers because you have given us this gift. Thank you, thank you, thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.